Hey everyone, I wanted to hop on before the episode starts to set the context that this was recorded a few months ago and you know, life happens and that's okay. But it seemed like every week after that, something happened in the news, um, a senseless act, violent acts against people of color that, to be honest, I've just had to sit through and think about what it means for my now 10-year-old child, boy, black boy. Um, So it's been rough. It's just been rough. But I want to say all of the strategies in this episode still apply if you are still dedicated to the education profession to being a teacher of children at any grade level all of the strategies apply whether you are virtual or in person even more so now because we just don't know what the experiences kids are going to come back with it's a guarantee that they're going to come back with a plethora of challenges and all different lived, learned experiences from home and what is showing up there in those spaces. So this is just a way to prepare ourselves. Some of you are going into the summer and you might not be thinking about it or you might be thinking heavily about it, but this is the perfect time to reset your mindset on what it means to be an educator and the power that you have. So without further ado, let's get into this. I'm Jocelyn Reed, your host, mother, sister, friend, educator, coach, and lifelong learner, a super fan of a mac and cheese loving curious kiddo named Zaire. Let's plant seeds for the future and figure out how to describe and share this wild ride we call life together. One word at a time you are listening to root words the podcast presented by revolve learning my educators school leaders welcome back to another educators edition episode this is based on episode three on responsibility responsible what do we do now I wanted to just say that I recorded the first episode about a week or so before our entire lives really changed when many schools have been shut down because of coronavirus. And so I have some plans already and some ideas I want to share for this episode, but I just wanted to say that now is a unique opportunity. I never thought in a million years that I would start a podcast a few months before a time where a lot of educators would be not only away from their students, but also tasked with educating their own children as well as doing distance learning and online learning as a main source to reach your students. I am so inspired by this time because now more than ever, you have an opportunity to make new connections with your students in ways that is are really relevant to them through technology. That is the way of our life. And if you look back at some of the resources that I provided on the episode and what I'll continue to do for every episode, if you take a look at our Path to Meaningful Connections resource, 
you can truly start to ask some of those questions now leading up to the questions to connections worksheets that's available for every episode to have some really deep, meaningful conversations that can be put into chat boxes. It can be um, talked about with kids whole group on Zoom or any other video platform just to make it not just about the academics, which we know is, is important to try to keep them on track, but really to just learn more about them so they can open up. Imagine going back to school and having an even stronger connection and relationships with your students. So this is really why I'm here. So this episode is themed after what we hear quite often, what I've said before, that's not my job. So when I think about responsibility, I think about saying that, you know, like I want to say what is not my job when I hear about certain tasks, certain responsibilities that I feel are outside of my scope. But there are plenty of things within our scope and within our sphere of control as educators that we actually can think about. These things are actually our job and can be hugely impactful to our students' lives, livelihood, desire to be in school, and desire to learn from you. The first thing that I think about is we say, that's not my job when a student is displaying some difficult to manage emotions and actions. And we also say like, oh, well, they just need to be removed from my classroom. It's not my job. I have X amount of other students that I have to focus on and I get it. And there's a lot that goes into this, like the school's systems for responding to behavior, how they plan to re-enter the classroom, how that, that is restored, how your relationship is restored with the student. And teachers and educators training on how to remain emotionally constant when you're in environments that can be dysregulated because of student behavior. So I know there's a lot that goes to it, but it's still our responsibility to restore our environments to a calm, safe, and predictable state. When we think about how the home environment impacts our classrooms, I have had students beg me not to call that one guardian or that one parent literally pleading with me that they would correct their behavior. That's because the most harmful thing for them was to go home and have the consequence that that parent or guardian would give, which was usually really stressful and often physical in nature. And it never really addresses the issue of teaching the student the skill to where they won't do that again. Often they don't even know what they did. Students are just living in fear of not getting a consequence again. Some of you are probably thinking, okay, what does this have to do with responsibility? Well, this, this is what it is. You might be thinking they should have thought about that before they made a poor choice. And I've gotten in that space emotionally before. Trust me, I get it. But it's just not how the brain and body works in a moment of heightened sensitivity to stress. If cortisol, which is our stress hormone in our body, is increasing so much in a moment, even with the child in a classroom, then in that moment, you feel threatened and your body goes into survival mode. You may have heard this before, fight, flight, or freeze. So if we think about a student and they had a moment where their brain has been triggered, their physical brain has been triggered, then in that moment, they're responding 
in that survival way. So it kind of changes our responsibility as educators on how we react to students and what we do in terms of how do we restore and teach a skill in those moments that actually changes the behavior, not just makes them more fearful of what's going to happen when they have calmed down and their hormones and their brains and bodies are back to a calm state. I know that was super sciencey, but that was just a small snippet of what I'm saying is our responsibility as educators to consider the context that a student is bringing to the table along with them, which is all of their life experiences to date that impact how they behave and how they respond to you and your classroom environment. So if we think about it, we wouldn't be so hard on a person that made a choice in the heat of a moment and wished they knew better and did better. In some ways, we're often more forgiving of an adult than a child in a classroom that was triggered by another student responding in a way that reminded them of a way that they might have been hurt or someone close to them was hurt outside of school. So a student might walk out the classroom and we think, how dare they walk out of my classroom? But the game is changed if you have this mindset of how the brain and the body works and the science of learning and development, because you often will think, what was this student just triggered by that made them respond in that survival mode? And then what do I need to do to one, create a relationship where maybe this student will share what is going on with them? And then what skill can I teach them to self-regulate their emotions and use the tools that I've shared with them and taught them when they feel that way again. And that is how our communities, our schools are changed is when we actually teach the skills and mindsets to students that will help them understand why they feel the way they feel and what to do about it. All of that requires an educator that has the mindset that is their responsibility to make sense of emotions and mindsets in their classrooms with their students. The best teachers have that part on lock. That is the secret sauce. It's hard, but you will never look at your students the same if you really internalize how the brain and body works. You take moments in your classroom like that, less personal, and you are simply more supportive in restoring relationships. So to close that loop, when I said we're often more forgiving than adults, if an adult did something and they were sorry for it, no worries, all good, all's forgiven. But students have this drawn out process of being sorry for something that they did, having parents, having teachers oftentimes not believe them and carry resentment towards students that it's often harder to overcome having a misbehavior in the classroom than it is when they grow up and do it as an adult. After a student misbehavior, what you do next as an educator is vital. If you want to kick your student out, if you can't bring yourself to level up above the emotions you feel about a child who might be cursing you out, you might have curse words flying at your face. Remember, they are in a survival, nearly blackout mode state. 
So how do you anticipate being able to teach that student at all? Think about it. Moving forward, your number one goal has to be to reunite with your child, with your student in a state of calm so that their brain is open to learning a skill for the next time. Let the student know that you are willing to listen to anything that they want to share, especially if they remember what happened before they got upset, before they flew out of your classroom and into the hallway, before they put hands on another student, before they completely shut down and froze and didn't say anything at all. Teach a calming skill and strategy. The power is when students know their own brains and bodies and how they work in stressful moments. Notice when students have calmed down and know when they are truly sorry. Be able to forgive your students and really move on. We have often seen teachers that are keeping their students suppressed in those moments because of their own inability to manage their emotions as adults. Let's move on. You can't expect a child to just come back in the room and learn from their teacher if their teacher still has an attitude, makes them go sit in the corner, or has taken away their recess indefinitely and they don't even see a way out. They don't even anticipate their teacher being happier and more understanding the next day. So now they don't even want to come to school. They might genuinely think that their teacher hates them. I don't know about you, but I know for sure that I did not become an educator for students to feel like I hate them or that I can't deal with them, or that I do not want them in my classroom. So I came up with three things that it actually is your job to do as an educator. Number one is make it your business. Instead of making it your business to punish a student to give out consequences, make it your business to get to the source of the experience that that child went through that made them respond in that way. If a student feels like the only option they have to be safe is to flight, I'm walking out of here, I'm getting out of here, then the only option you have as an educator is to figure out how to get them to stay. Make it your business to restore your environment to a place where they want to return to, even after they've had a moment where they might not have wanted to be there. That they are not the sum of what has occurred in those moments. They can learn within those moments and you are a person they can count on to teach them and not judge their character as growing, progressing children in those moments. Everyone right now loves Tabitha Brown um, on Instagram. And I just thought, like, what if that applied? Her catchphrase of that's my business, like everything she does, she does it unapologetically because those are things that she loves. If as an educator, you love your students, you do what you need to do to restore your relationships and keep your environment healthy because that's your business. 
It's as simple as that. The other perspective on the make it your business is stop telling kids to mind their own business. This relates back to what I talked about in episode three for everybody is that students are sharing things with other students when they feel comfortable. And when we tell another student, when they come and tell us things to just mind their own business without taking it to heart, without taking it seriously, it only perpetuates the problem of students not feeling comfortable sharing when something is going on with them. We want to create those calm, safe, predictable environments and also the relationships with our students to where we are one of the people that they go to when they need us. Our kids are depending on us. It's already difficult to push past all of the stress that they've been through to ask for help without fear that it would only make matters worse. Tip number two on things that actually are your job as an educator. It is your job as the adult in the classroom to manage your emotions. You are an adult. You have been through a lifetime of skills and strategies that have been taught to you by trusting adults in your life. You have to be the one to manage your emotions. There is no good that will come from riding up the escalator with a student and being in that space where now both of you are responding in survival mode. Someone has to be there to de-escalate the entire situation. Even though I know what you're thinking in a couple of those moments, you're like, "Woo, that no, this child is trying me. I get it. I have been there. But even still, it's still your responsibility. Number three in things that actually are your job, speak promising and positive words over your students. Obviously, this one's near and dear to my heart because this is the whole reason for this podcast is to give you ways to have conversations and speak life into our students. Give them that full vocabulary of ways to describe themselves and their actions that they may have never heard before. That is so powerful. The bare minimum would be, okay, you're smart. That's great. You did good. But if they were being compassionate, if they were being introspective, if they were being generous, if they were contributing to the legacy of their parents and their teachers, let them know that. Okay, I know I said three, but this one is really important. This is a little bit of a tough love moment here. The last thing that is your responsibility is your professional development. Okay, I said it. We can often get into a cycle of just complaining about what is being provided by our district, by our administration at our school. We'll sit in those professional development sessions and fire off in those exit slips. We say, this is not relatable. This is not relevant to me and my classroom, my teaching practice. But only you really know what your goals truly are in your practice. What would be most meaningful and helpful for you? Revolve Learning has some tricks up its sleeve that could help. But for now, go out and find what would help push your needle forward. Present those options to your administration. Be proactive. 
If they say no, find another one. Be persistent. Show them that you want to grow their practice and how specifically it would benefit the school. Usually, the little bit of information they need to get on board is knowing how this will benefit the bottom line of the school's performance. Let them know how it will move the needle forward in your practice, then proactively offer up to lead a session when you get back to spread the wealth of knowledge from their investment in you. It's kind of hard to turn that down as an administrator. What do you have to lose? Closed mouths don't get fed. Now be realistic now. Like don't go asking in the dead of winter to go to Florida now. That might not work. But there are plenty of local resources. All you have to do is hit up that search bar. Shameless plug, head on over to revolvelearning.com to get on our email list so that you are first to know when we drop virtual learning series, as well as when we're in the area doing our core essential series. Tons of resources, super relevant. I'm just saying. But anyways, let's get back to this. This is going to be a long lasting communal trauma that we all have to unpack and support children through. A few things that came to mind was considering that bullying is about to be at an all-time high. Imagine a student in a classroom or in the cafeteria and they start coughing and what other students around them might do as a result, chastising them, bullying them, calling them names. What are we doing to prepare for our students return in setting the expectations for them, restoring the sense of belonging and community, and just proactively setting boundaries to protect our students. We do not want them to feel like they are excluded if they themselves test positive for coronavirus or they have family members that have tested positive and that information gets out in the school community. It is a guarantee that our students might be triggered by this time, which in and of itself is a traumatic event for all of our students. So be prepared. Start building your toolkit now with strategies, ways that you know that you are going to use to build relationships with your students. Like I said, you can start now using some of the resources that we provide or just start thinking praying, meditating, getting yourself mentally prepared to not only deal with this yourself, but deal with students bringing this experience back into your classroom when they return. That is our responsibility, especially if you are working in and servicing communities of high need. In all of my training sessions, I always say trauma does not have a zip code. And that is true. But we all know that certain communities are at a greater risk for this pandemic to hit home harder than others. That's our responsibility to do the best that we can with what we have. A quote that really struck me during this time was, by Rob Waldrop. He said, my life is immeasurably enriched by taking personal responsibility to do what I can with what I have where I am. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. 
feel free to share this episode with an educator that you know would benefit from hearing it. We have all of the resources at revolvelearning.com, our Path to Meaningful Connections resource, and the Questions to Connections worksheets that accompany every episode. We are so excited to just continue this journey with you during this trying time, unprecedented time in our country. We just want to support you. And we're going to continue to show up and show out the best we can with what we have and where we are. I will catch you in the next episode.